This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hey up, it's the No Name Ever podcast, with your host, Jamie Smith. Hello and welcome to this week's No Name Ever podcast. First of all, apologies, we are a little bit late. It's due to circumstances out of our control. Our technology fell down repeatedly on Monday evening, so hopefully it's been worth the wait. We've got another win to talk about, thank goodness. A 2-1 victory at Stoke. I, I can't remember, did any of us predict this? This win at Stoke. I'm not sure. I don't think we did. And my guests this evening are Michael, James, and Kevin. James joining us from Pittsburgh this week, actually. Uh, Kevin, we'll start with you then. The Stoke result, a big surprise, I felt. But on the balance of play, I, th- I think we deserve to win. Um, yeah, I think we did deserve a win. Um, there was a, a bit of discussion about uh, about the stats and things like that and, and the fact that they had pretty much all of the game um after after our second goal um which they did they they were the game was played almost entirely in in our half um but tom Heaton probably had one or two saves to get to to make him a whole game um so it, it, it depends on what you're looking at yes they had the entire game but i think we we deserved to win him but we we won the tactical battle and the and the fight we had so much more fight than them um, and determination, and so yeah, we, we definitely deserve to win, even though um, the, the stats might suggest otherwise. Well, the stats tell a story of the home team battering the the opposition who's got an early goal or two. But they, they do, in they do reality, way, but also... we were we sort of controlled the game really by getting the early goals and then seeing back. Yeah, and I think if you also look at the stats, I think it's something like twenty odd shots for them, but only I think it's only three on target, which I think does tell just how 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 dominant our our defence was because they were throwing so many balls into the box, but um, every single time we were just getting rid of them. Uh, Shackle, Ward, um, Duff, Keane, um, Trippy, even with the defenders and the midfielders coming to the box, every single time they threw something in, we we threw it straight back, and it was, it was, it was, it was, it was great defending. It was brilliant defending. I agree. I think 
defensively, you couldn't really ask for more. We probably switched off maybe once, and that was the time they scored. But like the whole game, I, I thought we closed it out quite well. And although there was more time wasting than I'd like to see at the end, it was still satisfying to see us be a bit more streetwise, I think, maybe resorting to those sorts of tactics that everyone else does. But we've seemed to not do quite as much. James, if we can bring you in then, what was your take on Burnley's performance at the weekend? I thought it was sensational. You know, it was a really good team performance. Um, and as, as has been said, defensively, um, I don't think you've seen many better defensive performances from any team this season so far. Um, I was watching it in a bar where they show every Premier League game all at the same time. And uh, people were definitely surprised when we, we took the lead and obviously added a second quite quickly after. And uh, it wasn't just the fact we'd scored. I think it was the quality of the goals. They were real good team goals. And, um, you know, even though after that, maybe we didn't really attack many more times, uh, to score from two really well-crafted moves, uh, you can't really ask for a lot more. I, th- I think the people in that bar were surprised. They weren't as surprised as us doing the, doing the live blog and people on Twitter seemed in shock I think Burnley 2-0 was trending on Twitter at one point it was <laughs> I, I, I such joined widespread the, surprise I joined, the, I, I joined the, the live blog about two minutes after we saw the score of the second goal and it took me about ten minutes to, to believe that it wasn't just one big practical joke on me yeah well I, I, I was quite subdued in my celebration partly because I don't really jump around screaming a lot watching football on TV anyway but people in the bar were quite surprised but I think half it was a mixture of shock I was a bit like, are we actually winning 2-0? Or is this some sort of dodgy video feed going on here and I'm actually not watching Burnley? It's some like Middle Eastern team. That happens to playing current Blue and has a prematurely <laughs> ageing striker. <laughs> 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 yeah, that, I agree with you, James. I think defensively we're absolutely superb. It almost seems, seems harsh to pick out individuals, but I, I do think Stephen Ward in particular is deserving of praise. I felt like... He cleared absolutely everything. He was playing almost as, a, as an extra centre-back at times. We were so deep and I can't think of anything that he didn't get rid of or any mistakes that he made. I just thought he was outstanding. He seems to be getting better um, by the week. I Michael, think, I think, sorry, go on then, Kev. Just another point on Ward as well. I think um, I think the full-backs t- can take extra credit as well in the fact that um, because... They were they were attacking us from the wings pretty much completely. They we were hardly going through the middle at all. They were going back down the wings, and I think the fullbacks' um, performance in making their crosses not as high quality made was, was contributing to the fact that we were getting so many so many balls back out. The the, the Ward and Trippier put, put so much pressure on their wingers that the crosses, the quality of the crosses coming to the box was not as high, which meant that Shackle and, and Duff and Menkeen were able to, to get rid of him even more um, easily. So that's kind of extra, extra, extra praise for, for, for Ward there. It, it was defending as a team, though, wasn't it? I mean, we saw the, the stats. I'm sure everyone's seen them already, but George Boyd ran 8.3 miles, I think it was, during the game, which is more than any other Premier League players covered all season. So it was the wingers getting back to help as well, and it was just... A really solid classic away performance with the 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 early goals. Um, Michael, the goals that we scored, James says they were good team goals, but I suppose from a, a Stoke perspective, they were quite sloppy defensively, weren't they? Yeah, if you're a Stoke fan, you're looking at that and you're very disappointed to be conceding them type of goals. I mean, on that first one, um, 
really, Begovic shouldn't shouldn't be spilling that despite despite the pressure that he was under. He shouldn't be spilling that to the feet of Burnley's most lethal most um, lethal striker. Um and then the second one, it's almost a repeat, it's just a ball across the front of the box where um I think it was Bardsley was miles out of position when Kylie got the ball and it's just gone past him easily and put the ball in and it's just simple tappings. And that, and as a Premier League team, they're, they're the goals you can't afford to concede. If someone bangs in a thirty-yard scream and then ha- hey, hands up, fair play, you can't do anything about it. But when it's not, when it's so simple, you just can, you just got to be disappointed. Mark Hughes will not be happy with that. But but you'd also say that I think um, we almost forced it in. But um, we did what we've what we what we didn't do in the first part of the season is that we we, played, we pressed their defence right from the start. We pushed up and pressed in numbers, um, which forced them to, to, to make those mistakes, which is something we didn't do early on. I think earlier in the season we tried to um, build our attacks a lot more slowly, whereas now we're doing what we did last season in pressing their defence and forcing mistakes. Yeah, um, definitely. So, definitely. You can look so, at that and say, Sean yeah. Dash obviously had a game plan and that yeah, was definitely. to play on, play on the counter and put them under pressure and it worked in the first 25 minutes, it's, it's, it's come together and we're tuning up. And after that, everyone has put 10 men behind the ball and sat back. He's, he, tactically, he's totally out, out Fox Hughes on the day. Our away tactic last season was really different though, wasn't it? We, our plan was almost to stay in games as long as possible last year. And we saw two or three occasions, I think, when it was nil-nil until quite late and then we got the key goal. Whereas at Stoke, it, it really looked like we were trying to get in front early perhaps buoyed by the, the whole result or I don't know what it was, but we just seemed to catch Stoke a bit unawares. And they had some changes in their defence, I think, didn't they, off the previous game? But I think there were changes that they'd made in the, the win at, at Spurs previously. So they'd changed to a defence that had worked, but then the first 20 minutes against us, they were just all over the place. So really strange from Stoke's perspective, but... Obviously, can't give Burnley enough praise. I, I felt we forced the, the defensive mistakes, and we were on top for large portions of the, of the first half. And I certainly don't think two one was unfair overall. Um, defending the crosses was quite frightening to watch at times because we conceded so many goals from crosses, and they did score again from a cross. But we did deal with the vast majority of things that came in there. Shackle and Duff were particularly good. James, how how much of it, in your view, was poor quality of crosses and how much of it was, as Kev pointed out, the pressure that we were able to put on them? Yeah, I think it was a combination. Um, you know, if you can pressurise people, then you can force bad quality crossing. Um, but even so, a bad quality cross can still be very dangerous. So to, to just get it away um, is really important, especially after some of the goals we've conceded so far this season where uh, maybe you think... If the marking's a little bit better, if you do the basics better, you, you don't concede there. And you should mention Danny Ings as well. He seems a, a totally different player since coming back from injury and two goals really, um, in, as Michael says, are fairly simple finishes, but you've got to be there and you've still got to put them away. That's, I think it's, is it five goals in his last five starts for Cullen Country now? He seems to be in a really strong bit of form. And I think he said himself in his quotes after the game that he was a lot, maybe a little bit disappointed with the way he was playing earlier in the season, but he feels much stronger after the injury. So maybe that little time away was beneficial in a way, although we probably wouldn't have said that at the time. Kevin, you took a bit of stick earlier, didn't you, for criticising Danny Ings and 
it's you can argue it both ways, I suppose. Now that he seems to be doing well, I'm good. I'm still going to argue that I was right because somebody <laughs> tweeted. Someone tweeted. Um, I think from a known never can we tweeted some praise. We tweeted some praise for Wings, and someone tweeted back saying um, "egg on face" for for, for me. Um, well, I, I think the opposite. I think essentially he's proved me right. My argument earlier on was not that he was a bad player. My argument was that he was a good player who wasn't playing well. Uh, and once he did start to play well, he'd be uh, he'd, he'd be firing. I think he'd be one of our most important players. And that's happened. Um, you could say that the people who were defending him earlier thought that he wasn't a good player and he was playing to his uh, to his ability. So maybe they've got egg on the face. But yeah, definitely, it's um, it's great <laughs> to see him him back to his. But it's, it's Danny. I think it's Danny Ings again. Um, he, he he's playing with a smile on his face. Um, he's he's getting into the spaces confidently and believing he can he can do his thing, and he is doing his thing. It's he's, he's scoring goals, and um, not just scoring goals. He's putting in good all round performances, and, and long long may it continue. Can you put your finger on what's different? Is it is it just that he's got a bit more confidence from somewhere? He does seem as. To me, it looks like a totally different player to the first few weeks of the season. I, I think it's definitely confidence. I, I wrote at the end of the last season on the site that um, he'd gone. It, he was really unfortunate in that he he had he had a few injury problems and he came back and then he lost uh, he lost um, Sam Vokes. and just all these all those things combined, he he went through a bad patch of form. And I think he's very much confidence player rings. Uh, and when that bad patch of form that started to hit his confidence further. Um, which meant that he was he, he looked totally different player. He was really frustrated. He was kicking out when he missed a chance. He was really beating himself up. He was there was some point you see him. He was he was thumping his leg and he was he looked like he could, I, sometimes he, he almost looked like he he, he could cry, um, and um, and yeah, I think that continued to the start of his season. He's got that goal now, and he looks. He, he, I think he looks a completely different player. He looks so confident. He looks like he's really enjoying himself. And I wasn't I wasn't seeing that at, at the start of the season. There certainly has a big change, and I suppose hopefully the longer it lasts, the the better. Um, briefly touched on the, the time-wasting earlier. Um, I, I suppose this is this is just the reality of life in the Premier League, isn't it? That's, um, you have to be a bit more streetwise. You have to be aware of the way that teams can bend the rules maybe a little bit, but I did think it was maybe a little concerning that Tom Heaton was booked for time-wasting with about 20 minutes left. It maybe showed that we pushed it a little bit too far. James, what are your thoughts on this? Is it just doing what everybody else does? It's it's not the sort of thing Burnley seem to do. Yeah, no, traditionally, I don't think we've really been a, a side to try and wind down the clock, and I've, I've always liked that because I think it's you know, ruins the game really. Um, it makes it less of a spectacle for fans for sure. When you the last couple of the game, uh, last couple of minutes of the game, just keep stopping and starting, and then no one seems to have any you know real desire to get it going again. But I guess you're in a results business, and sometimes if you want to prevent the uh, opposition getting a chance in a tight game like it was, and we're under quite a bit of pressure late on, um, you might want to sort of try and take a a few extra seconds here and there. This, uh, I mean, it, it's up to the referee at the end of the day, isn't it? If he feels like there's time wasting going on, he can always add more time. It's up to him when he when he stops the game. So I've always felt it, it's sort of self-defeating in a way because the time is probably going to get added back on and 
if you end up trying to play eight minutes at a time or something, you're more likely to concede. Michael, what do you think about this? Well, I think in the end, was it six minutes got added on? Um, round about that. So, like you say, it's... It was five, I think, yeah. Five. But it's, um, like I say, usual game, you're not getting five minutes added on, are you? So, um, I don't like to see it myself, um, especially so early on. Um, the booking for Heaton was... You don't want to see your keeper getting booked with 20 minutes left because he's, he's taking his, his his time on it. But um, I don't know. I prefer to see less of it, but... Like James said, we're in a results business. Back to back home, back to back wins in the Premier League's massive, um, especially in the confidence confidence area. So um, every now and then, I don't mind it. I think um, I think there's another thing about it. So I don't think it's it's purely. I think it's mostly time wasting. But there's another thing of, of breaking up their momentum in that, that that second half. It was it was pretty. It was it was completely them coming at us and firing at us. Um, and when you've got that, they're going to want to get the, the ball back in play as soon as possible. You saw a couple of times when they got corners, um, they were taking them as quickly as possible just because you've got that momentum, you want to keep it built, growing. So if we can just pull it back, pause the game, let, let ourselves have a breather and break their momentum a little bit, get them a bit more frustrated that they're having to wait, then that's um, going to gonna help us mentally uh, as well. I think that's a good point. I, I do think it, it's part of closing games like that you have to break down the play sometimes. If if you get a kick in the back and you win a free kick, then just lie on the floor for a little bit and let everyone get their breath back. It's it's one of these things, isn't it? It's part of the game. I don't particularly like it either. But as I say, I think everyone else does it. So we'd be we'd doing ourselves a disservice a little bit if we didn't do it as well. But yeah, I think if, if Tom Heaton's going to get himself booked with 20 minutes left, I think that's a problem. Although Andy, Andy was going to join us on the podcast tonight, but unfortunately something came up so he couldn't make it. But he did send us some notes. He said um, he liked Tom taking his time and taking a yellow for the team. So it just shows how different people see it, I suppose. Andy also said he thought Bojan was superb for Stoke. He was certainly their main threat. And I, I was a bit surprised that it's, the new Stoke seemed a, a bit of a... A difficult one to, to describe in a way because we, we got used to Stoke playing a very direct style of play underneath Tony Pulis, but Mark Yu seems to want them to play slightly different. But then they resorted to the long balls and punting it at Peter Crouch at the end. It was interesting that the sort of uh, the the way that the two styles seem to emerge and they don't really seem to have, have made it work yet. I think they've already lost it against Villa and Leicester at home this season, so. Yeah, it's tricky to to see what to make of Stoke on Saturday, but they'll obviously be disappointed with the way they defended for the for the goals in particular, and the the fact that I think they created a few chances, but nothing really tested Tom Heaton. I think Heaton, considering all the all the ball that they had and all the crosses they put into the box, who fairly unemployed us, as we've mentioned earlier, um, James. If, Come back to you. We talked about individuals and defensively, but it, it was really a performance that was built on everyone working incredibly hard, wasn't it? It's almost impossible to pick people out. Yeah, I think it was a game that's based on everyone doing the same thing as each other, which is um, sort of giving 100%. It's really easy to try and pick uh, Judge Boyd out as someone who clearly did a, an absolute uh, monstrous amount of running. Um but I think that's what you see from everyone on the on the field. He maybe you know covers more miles than anyone else. And if we can just mention one individual, I think it's really important to 
to pick up Michael Keane for his performance. It's a really difficult situation for him to come on for Michael Duff with about um, 20 minutes left, I think it was, and Duff had headed everything, but had obviously picked up some sort of injury. But I thought Keane was outstanding. There was one tackle in particular. I think he was he was a fair distance away from the ball and sort of threw himself at it, got the ball away, and it cleared it about 30 yards up the pitch. It was a ridiculous tackle. Um, Michael, how how difficult is it for a player to come into a barrage like that? And how well do you think Keane did? I think um, it's extremely difficult if you if you just been sat on the bench and and he's um, not had much game time. And to come into that type of barrage, he's caught with it superbly. And his, his performance summed it, it, it summed it up, summed up the team performance. He was in there, he was fighting for everything, getting his head head on balls. And like I said, that tackle he made when the ball, ball's gone flying, it's it's that type of determination and, and grit you want from a player who's, who's, who's young, obviously wants it, wants to make a statement, wants to make his mark on the team to press for a first-team player. So I think he did very, very well coming in and doing that. Uh, should just mention briefly that we are still having a few little technical issues, so uh, apologies if the podcast is not up to the usual professional standards and we'll hopefully be able to get stuff fixed for, for next week. Um, James, Keane has he's had to wait a long time for his chance, hasn't he? He played at the turf for, for England during the international break. Depending on how bad the, the Duff injury is, I suppose, means that there's potentially going to be a place in the side for Keane. Do you think Keane showed enough to suggest that it could be a seamless transition now? Oh, I think he came in in possibly the toughest situation you could do and, and you know, he, he did well. So I think that says it says it all really for, for him starting games. I think he'd, he'd do fine because you know, it's really tough to come into a game when um, your side are under quite a lot of pressure and you don't really have that sort of easy five minutes to get into the game before you start having to face some difficult challenges. So, um you know, I think he'd, he'd he'd do well starting, and I think um, it's maybe time just to to give him a shot because I think that's what obviously his uh, his parent club are going to want to see. It's the mentality thing as much as anything, I think, isn't it? When you come into a game in that position where you've got to immediately get to the pace of the game and you're involved straight away, it's like you say when you come on, you often want to be able to fill your way in, and you didn't get the opportunity to do that. I always felt that that Keane for Duff was a change that we were going to make at some point, and. From what we saw of Keane in the last 15 minutes on Saturday, it doesn't seem like it's going to be anything to worry about. Although, obviously, um, Duff's done a fantastic job and we're not saying that it's time to drop him. It's it's a case of having options as much as anything else. Kev, what's your view of, of Keane's performance and the, the sort of Keane-Duff dilemma? Um, pretty much what's been said, really. Um, I've, I've, I've been, I've been um, a fan of Duff all season. I think he's been playing well. Although I, I, I think a couple of weeks ago, I did suggest that maybe we we did bring Keane in um, simply because I think we've been conceding quite a few sloppy goals, um, and Duff maybe. Well, definitely, Shackle's been playing better than Duff had, um, so I, I was I was happy to see see Keane come in, and I'm glad he did well, and hopefully he can continue to do well. Cause I think he'd be a good player to be able to keep for the rest of the season, uh, and if he doesn't if he doesn't start playing, then. That's that's not going to happen. His his loans up in January, um, and if he's not playing, he probably would have got a lot more game time for United than he would for for Burnley um, so far this season. So if he's not playing, he's probably going to be off in January. So I think it's a good opportunity for him, for him to come in. Uh, and like I said, it was it's incredible for him to come in in that in that sort of situation and just 
and just be straight away almost as if he'd been playing over match. Because I remember that, um, you know, he's been sat on the bench for for pretty much the entire match and ran up and down the sideline one or two times before coming on. So it's it's incredible physically just to get straight back into it, but mentally as well, just to just to, to perform how he did under so much pressure instantly was um, was fantastic, especially for a young man as well. You know, maybe someone like Duff who, or Shackler has been there for quite a while and, and has experienced it all. But for a young lad like him who hasn't got the experience um, to come in and, and cope so well is, is very encouraging. Absolutely. I think it's a sign of a very strong character. And I think if, if he does get into the side in place of Duff, I think we can perhaps talk about Michael Keener's as a long-term replacement for Duff. Maybe it's a little bit early to be suggesting that, but Duff's going to be 37 in, in January. You were talking about uh, Keane would have played more at Man United if he'd stayed there, and that's true, but I think it's inevitable that they're going to buy defenders, so get bumped down the pecking order again if he was to go back. So I think there's a chance that he'll be available, and I think there's every opportunity for us to bring him in permanently at some stage. And I think a Keane-Shackle partnership looks quite promising if we can if we can get that deal done. Um, another individual I think we should mention a little bit is Ashley Barnes. Who, he seems to be getting better for me. I've, I've never really been a fan of Barnes, I've got to say, but he scored the winner against Hull and he gave in a, a pretty reasonable performance there. And I think on Saturday, again, he worked like a Trojan. He was involved in, in both the goals, I think. Um, he seems to be developing a bit of a partnership with, with Danny Ings as well. And, We'll talk about Sam Volts coming back in a little bit, but for now, James, is it the Barnes and Ings partnership that we've got to keep faith with? Well, you know, it is looking that way. I think uh, Djokovic had a good spell in the season, but he seems to have, I don't know, maybe got bogged down with not being, not being able to get that first goal, which I think might be what happened with Danny Ings as well. And obviously going away and being injured gave Ings that time to sort of release the pressure a little bit before coming back. And obviously he's since then managed to get his first and Subsequently, gone on and got two more. Um, but I think with Barnes, it's maybe a case of like Sam Volks when he first came to the club. He, he got involved in a lot of games, but he didn't get a lot of actual playing time. Um, so you weren't really getting to see him play to the best of his ability because he wasn't, he just wasn't fully involved. Um, and now we've seen a few games, obviously, where he started, and I think when he starts, he's a much better player, and you, you get to see a lot more of him. Um, so I think it really, you know, partly is just down to that time and opportunity and sort of getting yourself into games and being able to play to the best of your ability. I think the problem with, with the Duke and Sordell is confidence as much as anything. They've both had a fairly difficult time for the last couple of years and making that step up to the Premier League on top of trying to find some form, it's maybe just been a bit too much for both of them. I'm not writing them off, I'm just suggesting it's been... It's been difficult so far, and it's, it certainly seems to be Barnes and Shirt to lose for now. And with with Sam Volts breathing down his neck, hopefully that'll push him to have even better performances and score a few more goals. Michael, what are your thoughts on the, the strike force at the moment? I think Barnes is very much that striker who you don't necessarily want him leading the line because um, he's not an out and out goal scorer, but as a deep line forward, supplying and creating space for the likes of Danny Inks, he's starting to do quite a good job. Um, and he's definitely impressed me a lot more recently um, compared to the Duke, who's, I think, struggle, struggling to adapt to life in the Premier League. And Sordell, who I think I think Sordell's one of them that is going to come along with over the next couple of months. And um, 
it, it will probably get better. But I imagine we're going to start seeing Soldell pushed out wide uh, once Fox is back. Um, but it's great to see Fox coming back. Um, it'll be interesting to see now how the team line up in the next couple of weeks when he does fully regain fitness. Yeah, he's, we can talk a little bit more about Vols later in the show, but it probably is going to be a little while until we see them. Um, there was another change in the team on Saturday, Kevin, with Scott Arfield missing out through injury. But Michael Kiteley played really well against his old club. Maybe that was the spur uh, for him to, to play really well, the fact that Stoke could let him go. Is that going to be any sort of dilemma for, for Sean Dash when Arfield's back, or do you think he'll come straight back in? I don't know if it's a dilemma. I think Arfield will come straight back in, but I think it's really it's a, it's a great option to have because um, I think Kiteley's been excellent this season. I think um, he's, he's had a couple of cameo appearances, and I think he's done really well. Um, each time I've been I've been quite impressed with him. Um, certainly after a lot a lot of fans were questioning the, the price tag we paid for him in the summer and also questioning, you know, have we got the quality on the bench uh, this year to bring on? And I think he's consistently showing that we have got this uh, a good good option to, to 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 bring on to change game or to play, play instead of um, Boyd or Arfield when they get injured. Um, so yeah, I think he's been excellent. For his assist for the, for the second goal is brilliant. Um, I think he was heavily involved in the first goal as well. He put that pressure on, which allowed the ball to to bounce back to um, to Ings. Um, obviously, he he scored earlier in the season as well. So I've always had limited game time. He's been involved in three or four goals. So that's you know not much more you can ask from him. I think he's been he's been excellent. Uh, but I feel we'll come back in. <laughs> He's done brilliantly, but he's going to get dropped. <laughs> uh, moving on from the Stoke game now, over the international break while we were away, it's been a while since we did a podcast, we went to the Football Blogging Awards, which we were nominated for uh, Best Podcast, thanks to your vote. So, um, Adam, tell us how that went. So, on the on the Thursday, the 13th of November, I think I got that, that date right, um, we, all, we all met up in Manchester um, at the... Um, National Football Museum. Um, we attended the awards dinner, um, who, which was hosted by um, Kate Riley, I think, um, of, of Sky Sports News. Um, and yeah, we didn't win. Um, that, that's the main thing we we need to do. Do fix. Um, but uh, having said that, the Sport Bible won an award, as did Paddy Power's Twitter account. Um, so I'm not sure. <laughs> Um, with what credibility we can we can say that we lost out to good competition, um, but still um, it was it was a good experience. We met some some really nice people um, involved with um, a Wolves podcast um, called the Wolves Fancast, I believe, um, and they won the award. Um, so that was that was fun. We we sat next to the award winners. Yeah. Also on our table were, was some some people from a Brighton forum, I think. Um, so it was nice to to meet up with everyone. Um, Kevin, I believe you you've got stuff to add. Um, yeah, it was just it was, I think it was just a, a really really exciting um, exciting day. It was really good to meet everybody. I've, I also got the great inspiration to to churn, turn my beloved. Um, well, I've got a, I've got a, a shirt from when my dad was in hospital years and years and years ago. It is shattered, signed by over all the squad at the time. I think it's the you know the quartered shirt. Um, Samuel, all the squad, um, and I've have a great inspiration to to give it to the sponsors to cut up and turn it into a bag as well. So <laughs> a great night all round. 
We should probably explain this. Uh, the, the sponsors yeah, probably. Of, sponsors of the event were a company called Campo, who um, they specialize in like retro shirts and stuff. And the the chief executive or the guy that runs it got up on stage, did a long speech, um, and uh, it was a very long speech, very long speech. fifteen minutes. Uh, and at the end, he did this grand reveal of the new product, and it, it, it was built up as something really sentimentally important. Um, and then it turns out it was like a a football shirt, shirt hold all. Was, uh, and that was it. And <laughs> obviously, everyone else was keeping a straight face, but us us four. We were giggling to ourselves, and um, I, I think I think Kevin actually cried. <laughs> I was genuinely crying with laughter. I don't know if it was just, I don't know if everybody else thought it was a bad, a really good idea, and we we just thought it was terrible because we're, I don't know, maybe it's a Burnley thing, but you you don't you don't understand that shirt should be made into bags. Maybe we're just. Can you like we couldn't work out what what the yeah. actual use case for it really was? Because um, if it's really sentimental, do you really want to carry it around with you and put all your stuff in it? Yeah, and get put it your so dirty it's... pants in it. So <laughs> like, in the rain. Oh, you don't have to do that. Oh. Yeah, it was, anyway, it was, it was a good, funny one. It was a good but evening. Yeah, we got free. Yeah, thank you, thank you to everyone. Like we said, for, for voting, it was it was it's a it was a real laugh. We so many people, um, blogs and podcasts nominated. And some really, really strong, strong podcasts out there as well, which were nominated but didn't make the didn't make the final ten. So it was a real honour to to be there, and it's uh, it's it's thanks to you guys who listen and, and vote. So so thank you. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And hopefully we'll we'll be up again next year and go having, one having, step further. Having just slagged off the award ceremony, <laughs> hopefully we'll win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who knows? Yeah. Anyway, uh, leaving aside that for now, uh, the next thing we should probably talk about is Sam Volk's coming back. He played 45 minutes for the development squad in a game uh, the other night and scored on his return from injury. So it's um, really encouraging signs for, for Volk's to be playing football again. I think he's been running for a couple of months, but might still be a few weeks before we see him involved in first team action it'll be a case of building up that match fitness now i think before we can see him um michael volks coming back is going to be such a, a big boost isn't it but we've got to be careful not to expect too much from him i suppose that's it it's um almost built up this mythical image among fans where he's going to come back and, and, and score 15 20 goals like he did last season um but you've got to remember last season was his his record haul in a single seat single year um so we don't want to put too much pressure on him and force him back too injury uh, too early. But I think um, I think the the physios down at the club have done a, a really good job with him. They've taken their time and not rushed it. And I think the hunger is really there from him. He he wants to prove himself in the Premier League, and and he's got to be he's got to be raring to go and rekindle that partnership with Danny Ings. It'll be interesting to see how it pans out, especially against better defenders. Well, hopefully the the Barnes and Ings partnership will, will keep developing, and it won't be a case of needing to rush him back. But I think he's probably got half an eye on the the Southampton home game. It's at the the nineteenth of December, maybe, so it's about a month away. And of course, Jay Rodriguez will be trying to get fit for that game as well. They did the same injury, didn't they, within about a week of each other? So it'll be interesting to see um, which one gets back fastest. But they do seem to be taking it slow, and there don't seem to have been any major setbacks. So hopefully, it'll be playing sailing again for, for Sam Volts and we'll get to see him as soon as possible. Um, Kevin, the, the Ings and Volts partnership was such a big part of of our success last season. I suppose everyone's just desperate to, to see them playing together. They are, and, uh, but I think it, you've got to treat it with caution, like Michael said. But, um, I, think, I think you compared it to 
a few weeks ago to, to Chris McCannon that when he was out for ages, everyone was waiting for him to come back and he was, he was almost like going to be the, this world-changing um, player who's going who's gonna to make everything better again. Um, McCann didn't get anywhere near his best and hopefully Vokes will get back to his best. But even so, um, he, he, he's still one player. Um, and he, I don't think he's going to com- completely transform our season. Um, but it's it's it's, it's brilliant. It, it's great news. Um, I think I, it was unexpected. I don't know if it was announced before, but I, I certainly didn't expect it. I think he was only only been back in full training a couple of weeks, if that. So it's it's great to see him getting game time already, um, and a good forty five minutes under his belt and a goal, which is which is excellent as well. Um, it's only the, the, uh, only the development squad, but it's still nice to see him uh, getting back on the score sheet, um, and hopefully he can get a few more games in the development squad. But like you say, um, Barnes is doing really, really well. I've been really, I've, I've been critical of him in the past as well, um, but he, he's been ever impressed with him. He, I thought his assist for the for the first goal against Stoke was was brilliant. He, he brought it down well, and he played it across really quickly, and really accurately. I think it was a great assist. So um, he, he's coming into form at a good time. In that we, like I say, we don't need Vox to come back. Um, we will be able to ease him back into it easily with maybe. Two minutes, one match, five minutes, ten minutes, fifteen minutes, um, and then he can he can ease back into because look, you've got to remember as well he's he's not really played Premier League football before as well, so it's not like he's coming back from injury to a level he's used to. He's coming back from injury to a higher level, so that's going to make it even more difficult for him. So uh, I do think we need to temper expectations, and it might be a good few months until um, we've got Sam Vokes back. I agree. I think we've got to be careful not to expect too much from him, but I am also really excited to see Ings and Volts playing together in the Premier League because the, the partnership, which we've got to remember, it was sort of thrown together the day before the season started last year because we sold Charlie Austin just before uh, the Bolton game on the opening day, but it just seemed to, to work instantly and I've got every faith that there can be a Premier League strike partnership and it's it's yeah, it's just going to be a case of, of waiting until Sam's fit and ready to go because the last thing we want to do is rush it and him to end up getting injured again having months and months on the sidelines again so we'll be watching that one carefully and um, obviously we'll we'll do as many updates as we can on, on Sam's fitness on the podcast in, in coming weeks and um, talking about the strikers the last thing we're going to do on this week's podcast is mention uh, the new project from, from Danny Ings we've been waiting to hear about this for a while. I think he, he first mentioned it last season, this uh, disability sports project. He was working with uh, local youngsters. I think, Kevin, you've been looking into this already, haven't you? So what can you tell us about it? Yeah, I didn't I didn't know too much about it before the launch because there's been a few cryptic tweets here and there, um, but nothing had been hugely explained. And all I saw uh, at the time was... Uh, the official account tweeting some pictures of him um, having a kick around with some kids and still little explanation of what it is. Um, so if, like me, you're not really sure what it is, um, I've been assured that it is. Um, Danny Ings is funding it entirely himself at his own pocket and he's providing free and accessible coaching for, for people with severe learning or physical difficulties. Um, the law being disability schools around Burnley Pendle and the areas and he's also setting up the first official Burnley FC disability and wheelchair football team, um, which is all, uh, it's, it's fantastic to hear. Not only is he getting involved in his community and charity events, but actually he's taking the initiative to set something up himself and and, and fund it all himself, um, 
it's, it's so refreshing refreshing to hear and obviously um it all goes back i think to to that um that iconic photo from last season or whenever it was of him um kissing the the the, the guy in the wheelchair on the head and that almost kept became he's he's almost become Danny Ings's mascot since then um Joseph Skinner that's yeah that's the, that's the kid um but i think that went worldwide viral did that picture it was it was going going everywhere and it almost made him that's it's, it's all come up from that, I think, and he's, he's done quite a few things with disability um, since then. So it's yeah, it's it's great to great to see. Yeah, I mean, we, we hear a lot about footballers getting into trouble and doing pretty horrible stuff. So it's it's really good to see a Burnley player doing something that's so it's uh, going to be so useful for for the community and also a, a section of society that find it extremely difficult at times. So. Yeah, I think it's it's fantastic and it's a mark of, of what sort of man Danny Ings is. I think he's an absolute uh, joy to have around the club and the town. I think he, he really gets Burnley. I think that's the main thing about Danny Ings as well. And also at the weekend, I think he was he was at the, the Vintage Carrots charity game in support of uh, the St Ted's teacher, Mick Ennis, who's fighting cancer. And he donated some of his boots as well. And little things like that, not major but it's just taking a little bit of time out to do something nice and donating something to raise some money. It just shows that he's he's really plugged into what it means to be a Burnley player. And hopefully he's going to be a Burnley player for, for a long time. Michael, it's great to see someone donating so much time and effort and money into these sorts of causes, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's it's, it's one of the things where he said he wanted to launch it last year, but they didn't have the time because um, of how busy the season it was mid-season when he wanted to launch it. Um, and it's it's just brilliant to see something like this coming out of the club, and especially coming off the back uh, of a player's own back as well, especially, like you say, when you see so much bad press about footballers. Um, and it's it's heartwarming. It's, it's, it's what I want to see from a Burnley player, especially. And um, it, it, I think any club wants that from a player. Um, and I know fan, any fans would want that, want, want that anyway. Uh, so it's it's brilliant and it's it's another another one of them like you say he's plugged into the club and I think that's why fans are so desperate for to, to keep him longer and and hopefully hopefully we'll sit down sign a contract at some point at some point in the next couple of months and be here for for the long term because that's I think that'll make Burnley fans seasoned almost they'd be up there anyway absolutely it'd be absolutely huge and I don't think we should read too much into this this project but. It's going to be something long term. Hopefully, it's an indication that that Danny does see his future at Burnley. Um, finally, then for this week's podcast, we'll take a, a brief look ahead to the next game, Saturday's uh, game against Aston Villa at Turf Moor. It's a, another really good opportunity for three points. We've got two wins back to back. Villa on in the best of form. This it's got to be a really great chance to get a third straight win, isn't it, Kevin? Uh, it is, yeah, definitely. Um, especially as Villa are not scoring goals, um, and we are now. So hopefully we can get an early goal, um, give, that'll give us a bit of a boost and maybe knock their confidence down a little bit. And if we can defend as well as we did at Stoke, um, especially against their stuttering strike force, then we've got a, a, a fantastic opportunity. Um, obviously don't want to get too ahead of ourselves. We have hadn't won a game at all until a couple of weeks ago. So um, don't want to go... Don't expecting a third win on the bounce, but um, it's definitely a fantastic opportunity, and, and I think we'll 
will be confidence is sky high and we'll be going in there believing we, we will we will get that win. Yeah, I think that's the important thing. The confidence is going to be high, but we can't just think that we just need to turn up. I mean, Villa have been a Premier League team for a long time. They understand what it's all about. And even when they're not playing well, they can make it difficult for teams. We saw them on Monday night against Southampton. They didn't play well at all, but managed to get a point out of the game. Fair enough, Southampton gifted them a goal, but they still had to fight and scrap to make sure that they got that point. And I think... Paul Lambert's obviously under a lot of pressure now. He'll be desperate to get a result at Turf Moor. And even though Villa are, are going to still be without Christian Benteke, I think he's still suspended. I think it's not going to be a completely straightforward game. But I think you're right. I think an early goal could be could be really crucial. Michael, what are you looking forward to most about the weekend's game? Um, I, I actually have Aston Villa on my accumulator to go down this season. Um, I, I don't rate them at all as a team, I think. They've been lucky over the past few years to stay up. Um, and you say they've got that Premier League quality about them. Lambert's been under pressure for so long now, it's something's going to come to a head. And it won't surprise me if we nicked a result. And then we, you saw, the, saw, saw that as the end of his Aston Villa career. The last win wasn't back in September, early September, I think, against Liverpool, the last win. Um, so they're in a real, real rut at the minute. And it's, if anything, this is the ideal time when we want to be facing them. And I'd love to um, take three points away from that. And of course, it's two home games in in a really short period as well. With Newcastle coming up to Turf Moor on the Tuesday night, it's quite rare that that happens in the Premier League. You don't play midweek that often, and certainly not at home two games in a row. This it's got Newcastle have picked into some good form, but this is it's got to be a really good opportunity to get some points on the board, especially when looking ahead to December. There's a run of really difficult fixtures, so if we, and I think if we if we beat Villa, we get out of the the bottom three, don't we? So that's got to be in the players' minds that we can get that psychological boost of climbing out of the bottom three. I think it's going to be massive, and hopefully we we're going to be up for the fight because I think it is going to be a one of these scrappy, bitty games that you often see between two games at the bottom. And we'll just round off with predictions then, as we always do. Kevin, if we can come to you first, what are you expecting from Saturday's game? Um, I'm going to be precise as always, and it's going to be a 1 0 win in the 24th minute, a goal um, by Mr. Barnes. Get down the bookies for that one. It's extraordinarily precise. What about you, Michael? Um, I think 2 0. I think we'll bag, bag, a, bag a couple at home um, and, and see it out in style. Um, I'd say. Late goal in the first half, and then one around the 60-minute mark just to serve the, um, settle the nerves. Hopefully you're both right. I'm pretty confident ahead of this weekend's game, but I also think it would be quite Burnley to to expect to win for once in the Premier League and, and just not come up with the goods. And But I, I think out of these two home games, I think four points, however we get them, I think that would be fine. If we win one, draw one, I think we'll be in a good position. Um, so that's about all we've got time for on this week's podcast. Thanks to Michael, Kevin and James for joining me as ever. Thanks to our sponsors at Neville G, without whom we could not do the podcast. And a final thank you as well. So this is the last time we'll mention it for a little while. Thanks for voting for us in the Football Blogging Awards. It does mean a lot to us and we had a really good night out there. So thanks ever so much for that. We'll be back next week. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. 
And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.